It's the afternoon of Monday, May 1st. We're recording on another historic day. First Republic, a major U.S. bank, uh, has fallen, taken into receivership into the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, uh, of which uh, J.P. Morgan has come to the rescue and bought the majority of its assets. I am joined by two experts on banking, Chris Whalen and Randy Woodward. Gentlemen, great to have you both here. How are you doing? Well, it's in paradise. Chris, you've got a piece out on on your uh, institutional risk analyst uh, today talking about the false narrative on First Republic Bank. We've got a lot of narratives about First Republic Bank. What is the the false one? Well, that they could sell the bank or raise capital for the bank or sell a large chunk of the loan portfolio. This was, you know, there were several threads out there over the last week or so. But bottom line was anybody who looked at this bank and looked at the coupon, the average coupon on the loan book was about three and a quarter percent. The industry is in the fours on average. So that told you that this loan book was going to go at a discount, 10, 15%, and it wipes out the bank's equity. So that really, to me, is why the FDIC had to step in, take over the bank. They sold most of it to JP Morgan, as you pointed out, and then some other bits were left behind, like the preferred um, so that's the power of the FDIC receivership. Essentially, everything Jamie bought is brand new. There's oh, I, no, no legacy claims on it. Chris, I noticed, yes, uh, Bear Stearns, even though it was bought at a, a pittance by J.P. Morgan in 2008, its preferred shares were, I believe, taken in at par, converted to J.P. Morgan. Not so in this case. I think it's fair to say that not only is the common equity a bagel, a.k.a. Zero, yeah, I think the entire equity capital structure got left behind. I don't know that there was any debt assumed. I don't think so. I didn't see that in the press release. It said no debt assumed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was just deposits. You know, FRC was a unitary bank. So whatever was left behind is just literally left with the old corpus, the old corporation. Uh, and then the new stuff was sold to JP Morgan with a zero cost basis. Pretty cool. Randy, you've also got some some language in on your note today. You say that First Republic was a sort of a, a corpse that was taken over by J.P. Morgan. What what did you mean by that? It was euthanized. I mean, it yeah. it you know I think it was. You could say what you want about their model, and this is why I was excited to talk with Chris is to run some of my thoughts past it. But there was nothing wrong until all of a sudden everything was wrong. And in my opinion, you know, once whoever decided that the sole reason Silicon Valley Bank failed was because of uninsured deposits, that that was the primary reason, then all of a sudden, who's who's next? And I, I feel like I didn't really see, I haven't seen anything that First Republic did that was really bad. I mean, maybe not, it, it, some of it wasn't the best ideas, but nothing that it should have just exploded like it did. And so I guess- it's it was one of these business models, Randy, that kind of did okay over the past 10 years, but- you know, 10 years before, would they have been able to do this? I don't think so. It, it looks like they were making most of their money selling mortgages. What did, what do you think? I saw their loan book, you know, bond portfolio, which of course that was the problem yeah. with Silicon Valley Bank. Oh my God, the unrealized losses and, you know, HTM and AFS and all this jazz. And I'm like, you're not even thinking about the loan book, you know? And so now here we have an example of a bank that you're forced to sell your assets. That's the end of the game. It's a simple bank run. That's all it was. It was a, yeah. I think, a senseless, needless bank run on 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 FRC anyway. Um, yeah. 
And I but think the others get out, it's an outlier. Don't you think all of these are outliers to one degree or another? And, oh. and my concern, Chris, is they're going to, where the market's going to look for the other outliers, right? Yeah. They're going to look totally at, agree. you know, and I almost don't even want to say what the, what they are with First Republic because, because I don't want to promote that. Yeah. But I would say the one that's going to be an issue, and I know you've talked about it is, and Munger talked about it, I guess, over the weekend, you know, somebody heavy in CRE offices is, is going to, they're going to have a problem coming up pretty soon. Um, yeah. Well, they all have senior exposure to, you know, CRE office, or JP Morgan. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, it's the percentage, the level of it, I guess, is what, yeah. you know, the, the bondholders will get toasted first. Um, but in the case of the really radical change in business case for some of these assets, that may not be enough, and the banks may take a loss too. Yeah. You know? Well, that's my point. I, I just think this is outliers. That's what people are going to start looking for. And that's why it's very calm right now, right, Chris? I, I, that's, I'm not, you know, PacWest is hanging in there. They're not, well, they're the lowest they've been. They look, they're 907 right now, but. But, but their nothing. deposits went back up from. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully we can calm down. I just, I'm more concerned about, you know, okay, what's the next target, you know, and it is. You know, I, that's what I'm waiting for. And that's why I'm watching what people are saying about First Republic, because then that'll put the focus on other banks, I think, again, senselessly. Well, I wrote about uh, Bank OZK, Bank of the Ozarks, and they've actually managed to grow deposit because George is a smart guy and he repriced his book. He went back to his customers and said, no, you know, we're raising our rates and they have to do that. Yeah. So I think the banks that are willing to do that and that are willing to take stuff to the curb if they can and sell it yeah. so they can redeploy that liquidity and higher ass, higher yielding assets. Those are the survivors, guys. I think everybody else has got a, you know. But that's a, a very difficult, right? I mean, yeah. your, your, your assets are stuck. And I, you know, at, I've seen as low as, you know, 250 to 350, Maybe you got some that when I'm talking total average assets, um, you're going to reprice to, to what, you know, I, is two enough, is two and a half enough is, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, I think the bleed is going to continue to happen. And that's, and that's the thing I wanted to say, I guess I knew FRC was done because we looked at their net interest margin that fell from 245, I think to 177 or something like that. Ooh. But I was like, but, but that was one bad month and two good months. Now we're going, you know, with the hundred billion borrowed at probably four fifty to five percent. I, I don't even know. I, yeah. You know, they were going to go under one. They were going to lose another percent, and you can't operate a bank that way. Chris, they made a lunch a bunch of mortgages to very wealthy people who yeah. had mortgages at very low coupons, two and a half percent, three percent. So they were earning very little on those things. So you have lo- low credit risk. You're, they're going to get paid back, but but not earning that much. However, they're idiosyncratic loans, but they're custom, you know, private label assets. So to finance that kind of production today, you're going to pay seven and a half. That's your cost. Seven and a half to to finance jumbo loans? For warehouse, for those non-agency loans. Those are private loans. They're going to go to a bank. They're going to go to a private investor where the bank would retain them. But isn't the credit quality such of those, like, you know, basically yeah. no net charge-offs? Yeah. Net- but they tailored those assets to the clientele in order to retain them. You know, your typical asset management client, 
those guys get picked off in six months or a year because somebody calls them up and says, hey, I got a really great idea. Let's finance your mortgage, you know, refinance your mortgage. And it disappears. So the bank that made the first one doesn't even make money because they haven't recovered their fees yet. Um, that's the kind of business it is. So to retain those people, you got to be really nice to them. You're not charging them a lot for the asset management. And you're making money selling jumbo mortgages that, you know, City and JP are helping you uh, finance. <laughs> so, so you would not believe how many investors I've met over the past month who've said, I bank at First Republic and they've got the best customer service ever. Oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, they give you a mortgage at 2%. I, I believe it. Yeah. And that's part of the problem because they weren't earning enough on their yeah, on the book, loan. Yeah, I want to know what Randy thinks about this, but the book was pretty tight at three and a quarter, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, but is, is, is 375 is four the right number? It, it, it's an outlier. Peer group one is. I want to see it. It was 420, I think, for the average for all the big guys. All right, 4%. But four still is awful. I agree with you. Well, I'll tell you, in community banking, and, and to be sure, I'm I'm strictly community bank. I'm 10 billion and under. So that's my my site. Coast to coast, you know, is all 10 billion and under. And in the threes is, is fairly typical. Well, for your mainstream guys, so George Gleason at Bank OZK is at six. But that's high touch. Commercial. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I want to see how, how OZK gets through this. With all, that's a lot of construction loans, you know, right? The question is, is it better to do development and construction? In other words, focus on the front of the business I, I, and I'll tell not you, hold the end piece mortgage. Yeah, my, my, I'll tell you this. My uh, thought on that is, it, it, throughout my career now, and again, I always have to explain. I'm a bond guy, so I look for bad things first. Equity guys, <laughs> equity guys look for good things first, and then, well, what yeah. might be bad? I'm like, what kills me here? Okay, if I can get past that, then now I'll start to see what's good. If the thing I've seen through my career is if you're leaning one direction, you end up usually getting caught. Uh, FRC, Silicon Valley, they leaned into huge depositors with a ton of uninsured deposits. That yeah. clearly was a bad lane, right? So if you lean into subprime lending, any Mac, it ended up to be a problem. You know, the clientele at First Republic is not Schwab, it's not Ray J. Where right. you are, right. you know what I mean? It's a right. different right. kind of relationship with that customer. Yeah, and, and they just and, and the thing that I liked that you said most when in some podcast you did, you said really what we need is time. We just need time, and those banks ran out of time. Most banks just need time. They have the time. It'll work out. Um, well, the Fed could repo all this stuff at the coupon rate, okay? Yeah. At par forever <laughs> and yeah. just wait. <laughs> that, other true. than that, to give me back cash that I could then reinvest at six or seven, that's to me the only way to fix this because otherwise you have a sale. And if they sell, then they Can't. get the loss. I, I just think in the end, the Fed's got to cut. I, I, oh, I just, that's the really the only time and cuts. Uh, we need both of those things because it's going gonna, it's gonna to get, and, and this is going to have ramifications. I think that's what I wanted to talk to on that podcast you and I were on. We ran out of time, but the idea that this isn't, this is just going to go away is absurd. You know? No, it's I, just cash flow. It's yeah, cash flow. But, 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 but credit's going to change. Credit availability is going to come down. 
Already has. It I, has. Everybody you talk to, I'm sure, has stepped back. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And- All right, yeah, guys. So, so I, I'm, I'm going to was going to jump in to explain some terms, but I'll do that later. In terms of credit availability, what are you hearing, Randy? Let's start with you. Are, are banks making fewer loans? So, how much yeah, has it gone so down? Let me explain how this works because I don't think a lot of people know this. And this has always been an amazing thing that I've seen in my career. When I'm in an executive meeting, we now have a competition, a battle between the senior lender and the CFO. The senior lender makes his money doing loans. The CFO makes his money making sure they don't screw up. The senior lender usually wins. Okay. So my CFOs are usually, those are the guys I'm talking to. They are all wanting to shrink. They are all going, this is, we have been trying so hard to grow it, it too fast, too much, too. Now we see the negative impact of that. And they want, as cash flow comes off, whether it be uh, bonds or loans, they want to pay off borrowings and they want to shrink and they want to get more manageable. And the battle is the senior lenders. I don't know who's going to win. It's, I, I just feel like the, the forcing is going to be less credit availability, but the battle has begun internally in these banks. Well, because they have to make a choice. You can't just cut everybody back 5%. Um, you're going to drop lines yeah. if, if you want to really step back. And that means that that LO is going to make a tough choice. You know, we've been watching for that in the mortgage space. Um, fortunately, volumes are down. So the utilization rate on most loans is down. And in fact, lines have been getting dropped because they don't want to pay the fee if they're not going to use the line, right? Yeah. So the leverage is still kind of on the side of the borrower right now. They haven't had to worry about it. But, um, you know, the credit's clearly tougher and the spreads Absolutely. are getting pushed out. Yeah. And that's a process. It's a, again, there's, there's a lag to that, but sure. it's going to have, and look, everybody's getting beat up on uh, duration. So they're going to shorten duration. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I, I don't know who's going to buy it. You know, yeah, but to me, the most striking chart that we've had in the blog in a while was when I found this great um, Bloomberg chart that showed their duration index for Ginny May. And it clearly shows that the Fed was using forwards or TBAs to push down duration in 2019 because Powell panicked. Yeah. And, and they thought, oh, my God, we can't have another money market crash. So they throw all this money at it. This is the big debate among yep. economists now. Abundant reserves versus not so abundant, right? And uh, I think Powell's going to have to come and fess up. There are members of Congress, this uh, fellow Scott, has been asking some pointed questions. So yeah. we'll see. Some of them know. He doesn't want to talk about, yeah. about this right now, that's for sure. <laughs> well, my question to you, and I still, you might know this more than I do, but the one thing that I think was really egregious by Powell was, okay, you got to go to zero because of COVID, which we're probably heading there anyway, because 19 was not going well. I mean, we're, we were right. heading, headlong into a recession, but why did you bail out mortgages? Why did you take, I forget what the coupon was, probably like a fanny two and a quarter, you know, two and a uh, 250 coupon. Why'd you take it from par to 105 in a week? Why'd you do that? My banks had a ton of cash to invest. They're going to get a bunch more because the stimulus, the buyer was there. But why did you have to crush mortgage spreads? So who were you saving? I think they were making it up as they went. They they were trying to guesstimate how open market intervention should be equated with changing the target rate, right? 
and they have no way of doing this. I've talked to a lot of people at the Fed and the banking, and they just guess. So they come up with this stuff, and they were also terrified of COVID, remember? Right. Uh, yep. The supervisory staff told everybody to put aside, you know, $60 billion, which they didn't need. So that skewed all the financials for you guys. Um, you know, it, they, they, they were fighting the last war, but then they chose to go big, thinking that ample reserves would solve all sins, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's created a huge problem now. It's tied their hands, fighting inflation. And it's left the banking industry insolvent, like you said. So if we don't drop rates, yeah. <laughs> you know, 200 basis points probably. But they, they amplified the problem when they bought mortgages. I still don't understand it. They I, should I, not I, have done it. They, it, they it, figured they couldn't just buy treasuries. They wanted to go big, right? Yeah. And I think there was also an element of wanting to help housing, quote unquote. Um, well, it did. Well, they got it sure did. But it's the worst duration extension yeah. trade in history. Yeah. It's yep. a disaster. Yeah. And, and that's going to have ramifications. I mean, that, 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 you know, the flow of money is going to be so much slower yeah. for a really long time. Well, you know, and also all those lenders, think about this. I just did a piece on Penny Mac and uh, Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper is happy with a book that has low coupon rates because they want to keep the asset forever. And they realize that three quarters of all one to four family mortgages are now below four and a half percent coupon, right? Yep. So those mortgages, I have a three. Those mortgages are not going to come up for refinance for a long time, and the people are going to stay in those homes. Uh, I just want to def define a few terms, Chris. You you said that Mr. Cooper, uh, you know, financial institution, they want to hold those mortgages. I think, Chris, though, the issue isn't wanting to hold them; it's being able to. I think you know Silicon Valley Bank; they wanted to hold them. First Republic, they wanted to hold them, but just there was, there was a- well, uh, no, this, this is bank. servicing. This is different. Okay. Um, they're keeping an annuity. And because the likelihood of prepayment of the mortgage that's tied to the servicing, right, is very low, it's basically investing in a bond that's got uh, a very low prepayment rate. You know, those mortgages are- that Right now, the actual prepays on Ginny Mae 2s and 2.5s and is down around 1 or 2 percent annualized. That's right. extraordinary. You, you got a mortgage at three and a half percent and now interest rate, uh, yeah, interest rate is 7 percent. There's no way you'd ever want that unless you, you, know, you have to, but yeah. That's right. And, it, and that'll change yeah. just, you know, natural That's attrition right. to be sure. You know, death for, for the old fashioned firms like United Wholesale Mortgage and Penny Mac and those guys, the fact that the Fed refinanced all of those mortgages during right. 2020, 21 means there won't be a lot of business to be done. That's right, too. Um, right. And it'll be, you know, we pulled those sales forward into 2021, and now they're not here now. So yeah. we're going to be lucky to do a trillion seven this year yeah. in mortgage issuance. We're we never going to see that again. We're yeah, we did over five in 18 months. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Crazy. But that's what the Fed did to the market. So structurally, the term structure of interest rates is now compressed into that little range. So you can't move rates very much. You, you've made it impossible. And that same characteristic, by the way, is in the bond market. It's in CMBS and, mm -hmm. and all of these commercial assets that Randy was talking about before. Yeah. So take your pick, you know. Um, I think the commercial is going to hurt more this year in terms of credit. I think yeah, commercial and industrial or commercial real estate? Commercial real estate. Okay. Commercial industrial is a different beast. I don't think a lot of people understand how commercial properties are priced 
they're not priced because they're in the Hamptons. They're priced because of the income flow. And if that income flow hasn't changed much and now your cap rate is double, your property is essentially worth half. So obtaining the debt to refinance the debt is going to become the big problem here. It's happening right now. Well, we'll extend in voluntary. Exactly. We'll do. Exactly. They'll do so that. And the regulators will only, you know, for what my guys, it's not my, my division, but my, the guys who do that say they can, they can extend 12, 18 months, but the regulators will start saying, no, enough's enough. I just want to ask about uh, the fundamental problem banks face of loan yields have gone up, but they haven't gone up as much as deposit costs uh, for, for many institutions. And Randy, earlier you talked about net interest margin. And that's the spread between what banks pay of depositors and and uh, uh, other people who supply capital, uh, not capital, cost of cost of funds, and then what they earn their, their loan yields. So First Republic had ultra low loan yields because they were you know lending mortgages to people who had a very low default risk, and in, in some cases they were making interest only uh, uh, mortgages where oh for the first five years, the first ten years, no principal payment, only interest only payments. I mean, in terms of a cocktail of duration sensitivity that's pretty much like own you know it's you're, you're owning a lot of uh tlt out, out there you're, you're not getting paid you're not you're not getting paid now you're getting paid well well in the future and when interest rates rise and the the cost of future cash flows is worth far less that's a a, a big cocktail R- randy how um how much can we put this at the feet of first republic themselves of, of making these loans that had t- tons of duration risk in the same way you know silicon valley bank they made a lot of these loans as well and did not hedge them and and we i can ask you about the federal reserves uh bars report on silicon valley bank which showed in, in my opinion you know multiple failings i everything i've seen in there every bank is in the same boat to various degrees you know it, okay are they it's you know, 350, I think some banks are lower, you know, so it's like, are they really that much of a standout? And on the hedging, you know, everybody thinks there's some sort of magic hedging panacea. It just doesn't exist. So that's not really- We don't hedge portfolio anyway. You you keep that on credit. Yeah. People have this crazy idea that you hedge the whole book. No, you don't do that. Yeah, if you hedge the whole book, you make no money. End of story. Right, but they had trust me. The Silicon Valley Bank took the hedges off the available for sale in March of 2022, which is the exact same month that Powell started raising rates. So they had a profit on it, and again, it wouldn't have made that big a difference. There's, it isn't. It's a mitigator. The small securities book, like you said, uh, Zach, it was, it was pretty typical. What was not typical was that they were keeping all at home cooking on their balance sheet. Right, all all those private label loans. And they would sell them too. They, to answer your question, they made money selling loans. They had a nice gain See, on sale. So business. let me ask you, Chris, because I didn't know that until I, I read your piece this morning, which by the way, Yellen would be in the same position. So I totally disagree with Adler giving you grief about. <laughs> that was like, right. I'm we like, look, she got the perfect timing and got out of Dodge and, you know, Powell got stuck with all the, the bad stuff. But oh. um, so is it possible... I, I didn't why over the last two years did did First Republic just run out of people to buy their private label production? Well, the market certainly slowed down when rates started going up. 
of the party. You can see it in the SIFMA issuance data. It just kind of went into the ground. And I think you also had fewer mortgages being originated. And what happens in that market, the good stuff stays with the banks. They just keep it. They keep yeah. the servicing. They yeah. keep the note. And then the other stuff they sell if they can. Uh, but that dries up too. So you can see it in the volume numbers. Most of the REITs uh, in that space that traffic in this stuff have had to you know, diversify and get in other asset classes just because there's nothing to buy. Chris, you're, you're talking about mortgage REITs. That's right. Which, which buy loans, not, well, not, they don't buy buildings. They buy MB, mortgage-backed securities and, and yeah, some that's right. There's, yeah. there's three basic types. You have the guys who buy commercial real estate equity REITs. You have the agency REITs that buy liquid securities, mostly Fannie, Freddie, Ginny. And then you have the hybrids that also buy servicing. They buy all sorts of cats and dogs, business purpose loans, you know, the whole bit. Um, and, you know, there are some very adept players there. These are smart people. They primarily fund in the equity markets. So it's kind of like a fixed income product. Um, but, you know, they, got, they live and die on the yield curve too, and they will live and die on commercial. There's a lot of private REITs and whole commercial exposure that you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to take their lumps in this cycle, very definitely. Yeah. So. And, and so, Chris, you know, as a banker, you know, if you lend money to someone and they don't pay you back, that's a risk. That's like the number one risk. But there's also the risk of if they do pay you back, interest rates rise and that cash flow is not worth as much as it used to be. Right. Is a learning here that maybe the banking system, having had essentially declining interest rates, on a long-term time horizon for 40 years, isn't taking seriously or wasn't taking seriously either in practice, behavior, attitude, regulation, just that risk of, yeah, 500 basis points in a year. Well, I think that whole uh, aspect of this and the Fed's responsibility for their actions is, is extraordinary. You can't really blame this on bankers because they can't adjust that fast. That's it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, the average life of your bigger banks is probably inside of five years. So you figure that 20% of their books going to roll off every year. That's how fast they can adjust um, if they're lucky. You have other banks that are much longer to keep everything, like Bank America is probably close to 20 years because they keep 30-year mortgage paper on their books. Um, so, you know, each bank is different in that uh, degree, but all of them have the same problem. That's the issue. Whether you blame Yellen or you blame Powell, I think they, the hubris they showed and the lack of, uh, you know, purpose in terms of understanding what would happen if they did X, Y, or Z, that is what's really troubling. Because there's a lot of good banks out there that are going to take a kick it because of this environment. Uh, and those are people who did nothing wrong. They're just dealing with the fact that somebody in Washington decided to experiment on them. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. You know? Because think about it, if we hear cut 2021 20, production, which is like 25, 30 trillion dollars, we probably have five, six trillion dollars for the losses. Uh, the banking industry can't absorb that by themselves. So that, you know, and pension funds, everybody else out there, the shares, a piece of insurance companies, oh, yeah. others. Can it be funded by the depositors not getting market rates over the next 30 years? In other words, depositors will get 1%, but the you know, risk-free rate is 4%. And that will just that will help the banks make the money that they need to make up for having lost money on the loan. Well, that's a gruesome prospect. 
Well, there's some level of sticky deposits. You know, there's, right. you know, I've back when rates were five, six, seven percent savings rates, this is a while ago, I had a, a, a buddy or a partner I worked with who he had a bank with a zero deposit rate. I'm like, how's that possible? It was like in Palm Springs. So it's these rich people that want cash at their vacation spot. So they just left in it. They don't care that it's zero. They just want to know that if I'm there, I can go to an ATM or I can go to the bank and get cash. So, you know, there's now this was pre phone, right? This was right. 20 years ago, but there's always going to be some level of sticky deposits, but they are all having to raise them for sure. That's not going to stop. It, 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 there's going to be a slow bleed of deposits. You're right. And tell you, what are you guys seeing on the deposit front? Because, okay, we get it. Uh, the, the bank made $100 billion in mortgage loans. The mark-to-market value of that is now $82 billion, $18 billion hole. That's a problem. But that hole only becomes a real problem when people start pulling their money at depositors. And if mm-hmm. people keep their money there, it, it won't be a problem. That's a problem with Silicon Valley Bank, first uh, now, now First Republic, which, by the way, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, Chris, no longer the second biggest bank taken into FDIC. No. Now, now it's uh, First Republic, so it's bumped, bumped down to number three. Yeah. What do you see on the d- deposit front? Because Bank of America, all these huge, um, you know, globally systemically important banks, the money flowed into them out from some of the regionals into them. So we actually saw a reacceleration in deposit growth from Q1 uh, back from the fourth quarter. But then so the regionals as well, uh, Western Alliance, uh, PacWest, their deposits went up from March yeah. 2020, excuse me, March 20th, 2023, you know, around mid-March, when you had a huge outflow, they, the deposits went back up. So there's a lot of uh, hope there. So what do you, what do you sort of think, Chris? Well, it's not hope. It's that they are managing their business in such a way that they can price those liabilities and retain them. See, it's not big or small. The banks are all competing with the treasury. You know, they're competing with money market funds. And um, they have to reprice to compete with them. That's it. The ones who can't do that are going to end up having to sell or get bought involuntarily. You know, the the Fed is not giving you much choice unless they drop rates. You know, if we keep interest rates where they are all year, uh, we're going to have to have the average cost of funds for U.S. banks up close to 3%. Uh, that, that's like a 200% increase from where we are now. Uh, so raise, raise loan yields, increase the cost of credit. Yes, you will. <laughs> Those are coming down. I mean, there's going to be less loaning to be done. That's right. You know, it's it's That's just right. we, we, especially in housing, you know, right. and you know, and 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 as we said, you know, if if you got a commercial real estate and the loan comes up this year and you're going to double their, you know, their interest rate, they're not going to, they're probably not going to be able to do it because they're going to have to show up with an enormous amount of equity to pay that loan off and refi. It, it just, yeah. it doesn't work. So they're going to delay that, meaning they're going to keep that loan yield on the books longer because that's better than default and taking the building and trying to figure out what to do with it. Oh, yeah. Especially in places like New York and uh, San Fran. Uh, you have tenants walking away from assets now. Yeah. And the manager of the asset is going to turn to the mortgage holder and say, hey, what do you want me to do? The building's empty. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and people have seen this coming, but it was COVID that accelerated yeah. this change of behavior is, uh, you know, episodic. How do you even describe this? And I think it was just pent up. People wanted to change how they live yeah. and COVID gave them the opportunity to do it. They're not going to go back. And, and all my 
all my clients are trying to get some, you know, people back in there, some, you know, it, it, it and it doesn't have to be zero or a hundred percent. All you needed to do is come down some percentage and everything has to be repriced. Oh, that's the thing. Cause as soon as you reprice, it rolls through the building, all the monitoring services, see it, you know, the yep. rent rolls and everything else, the taxes and the asset value goes down. And then the bank shows up and says, Hey, you got to put more money in. That's right. To keep it at 50 LT. I, I don't think that's what, so I'll try to get a real quick number. And this is super simple, but like if I got a 2 million building and I had like a, you know, 5% cap rate on it, you know, five years ago, and I come in and I got a, I got a 70% LTV. So I got a million for loan on this $2 million building. And you're, I, it, you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Precisely. Yeah. Oh. So now I come in, what's the cap rate? Well, it's 10. So now your building's only worth a hundred. So now I can only give you a loan for 700,000. Yeah, yeah now it's it. only worth 1 million. So your loan's only yeah, worth uh, 700,000. And that's a loan to value of 50%. And, and Randy and Chris, this is something well, that looking through the balance sheets of the banks, you know, you, you listen, we listen to all the podcasts about everyone's bearish commercial real estate. I, you know, I make some of those podcasts. I get it. But looking through the, the, the balance sheet of the banks, you know, 40% loan to value, 50% loan to value, 60% loan to value. They seem pretty conservative. Are they not as conservative as, as you know? Well, the smarter lenders tend to be very conservative because they know that anything over 50% is not real. Okay. Um, now, some lenders may find that too aggressive, but the smart people I know in commercial, they, they view the top of that stack as speculative. <laughs> But I think a lot of them are 70, you know, a lot of them, yeah. you know, and, and even 50 is still going to be, you're still going to have to show up with equity. I mean, the fact is your rates going up and you're, it's the cap rates, the problem, because I yeah. can't give you as much money on this property as I could before. That's right. That's and a good point. Also, I didn't think about that. You know, it's not just a matter of the lender not wanting the asset. It's just that they're going to be forced to stretch terms. They're going to be forced to go back to the examiners and say, hey, I've got to give so-and-so better terms. I can't get 50 LTV. So those assets will all get special mention and they'll go into the little, you know, bad bucket. Um, and they're not really financeable long-term, especially in New York City. The rent-stabilized stuff that uh, Flagstar didn't want to take from uh, Signature Bank, it kind of typifies this. Um, and these assets are impaired. There's no other way to put it. Until we get different policies from some of the politicians in New York, uh, that market is in serious trouble. Yeah. And it's sad because, you know what, for 50, 70 years, that market was perfect. All the regional banks in New York City banked all the multifamily real estate. It was always fully let. It was a, a sterling asset. And there, people are fighting not to go back. And I, I've got friends yeah. who are up there and, and I've, I've offices of people I know, they're like, we just can't get them in. People are just absolutely refusing. Well, I do two, two days a week. I'll go no. home tomorrow. Well, that's. I just want to get to the nuts and bolts of the terms. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to read out a few things of JP Morgan's purchase from the FDIC uh, of, of First Republic Assets. Uh, they bought just over $200 billion worth of assets, $173 billion of loans, $30 billion of securities. They assumed $92 billion of deposits and 28 of uh, federal home loan bank advances, so just over uh, $100 billion in liabilities. Did not assume First Republic uh, Bank's corporate debt or preferred stock. 
they're going to make a payment to the FDIC, uh, JP Morgan, that is, of $10.6 billion. The CFO said $2.6 billion on the call, and he had to be corrected. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, FDIC gives them 80% loss coverage for seven years on re residential. Uh, for five years, 80% loss coverage on commercial loans. I'm wondering, is that on credit or only on credit or on uh, interest rate risk is too? Just on credit? Uh, cash losses. Cash losses. Okay, thank you. And then, but they bought the book at a big discount. So, the uh, uh, they bought 173 billion dollars of loans, but uh, they got it at a 13 percent discount. So they made made quote 22 billion dollars. But my question is, what percentage of those loans? What was the sort of mark to market value? Um, Randy, you know, you're a you're a bond guy. You've been in the bond bond business. You know. I think it's pretty close to fair value. Close to fair value. So it's it's not like they you know they bought a dollar bill for 50 cents. I don't think so. No, I think, you know, 14, 15% discount is what you said. That's in the ballpark without looking at the loans, you know, you're just right. thinking price because the average coupon on that book was three and a quarter. Right. So that gives you a sense for kind of pricing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so then how do they, they said that they, you know, the market and, and everyone kind of says this is a really good deal for JP Morgan. And I'm not saying it's not, but, you know, JP Morgan as assumes a, uh, internal rate of return IRR of over 20% for this transaction. They've got a one-time gain of $2.6 yeah. billion. So where did they get that 20% internal rate of return? Who knows? <laughs> we can't tell you. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jack, you mentioned it on your site. I'm curious about, I'm, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but this weird $50 billion loan that they got that they won't disclose what the rate was. What was it, a five-year loan, fixed-rate loan? The $50, yeah. uh, $50 billion five-year fixed-term financing I, I don't know what that is, but uh, yeah, they had, I know they had uh, close to $77 billion in Fed liabilities, uh, some in the discount window and some in the bank term funding program. So maybe it's that. What you can know, Jack, is that the number will grow. Um, the, the loss to the FDIC will go out. And, you know, how this is all resolved, JP owns these assets. So you're going to only get what disclosure they give you. Uh, you're not going to see it on the FDIC website because there's not much left in the receivership. Um, but these particular assets, so they'll have to tell you how they work those out. Right. So FDIC estimates that the cost to, to the deposit insurance fund, the DIF, will be about $13 billion. Yeah. That's it's an estimate yeah. final cost will be determined when FDIC mm -hmm. terminates the receivership. Yes, it'll be higher. Yeah. So, Chris, I, I know there's some rule maybe from the uh, OCC saying that Huge banks like JP Morgan really shouldn't uh, own or, or be able to do these transactions, but that exemption was lifted because uh, that's what JP Morgan said on the call. It was the cheapest transaction to the diff, and the diff is the FDIC's fund. Right. Uh, it, you, yeah. What, would you have a sense in terms of what that bidding process was was like? Because because Chris, okay, so a, what, exactly one week ago, uh, First Republic reported their earnings report. It was an absolute disaster. The stock got smoked probably forty percent. The next day, it got smoked forty percent again. And again and again, going into the weekend, things looked pretty grim, but there was the, the rumor of a bid. And the, it was a very ambiguous language of they could buy First Republic, implying, oh, a Bear Stearns. They're buying the common stock. They're assuming the preferred equity. But this is not what we got. But is this a, is this a failure in the same way as um, a Silicon Valley Bank or a takeover? Well, everybody gets tangled up in the terminology here. But the bank was declared insolvent by the state of California. It passed through the FDIC receivership, which 
basically means the old corporation stays behind. And all the assets that were sold to JP Morgan were put into a new company and then delivered to him, right? So, you know, that's how it works legally. All the claims stay behind. If you had a claim against First Republic, it stays behind and will die in the receivership. You may get a recovery, but it's unlikely. Yeah. And so did this all happen on Sunday? Because I know there wasn't really any news. It was, oh, it was, oh this reporter heard this, this reporter heard this, but nothing on the, nothing, you know, a hard copy until, I mean, this morning, really. No. And that's the nature of the process. I win it, you know, when they actually pulled the trigger, doesn't matter. They will fill out the documents and that'll be that. Yeah. I, I was you paper after the fact. I was surprised it, it took them that long to come up with something. It seems to me usually. Well, I told you you had a busted process. That's what it told That's, me. It, yeah. They how was the busted, how was the busted process, Chris? In what ways could it have been better? Well, nobody wanted it unless it went through the receivership. Right. That's it. Nobody wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's it. They had and to find a way to. This one to death, Jack. I am going to say goodbye to you. Yeah. And uh, thank you for the time. And uh, we will talk again soon. All right. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. Announcement. Blockworks is hosting an event called Permissionless in September. It's a crypto event. It's in Austin, Texas. We did Permissionless in 2022. It was the biggest and best DeFi event in the world. And this year, lightning will be striking twice. Historically, our ticket prices have gone up about 10 times from the day the tickets go live to the day before the event. If you're like me and bad at math, that's 900%. So it might be savvy for attendees to consider buying tickets now rather than later. If you're listening to this and you're saying, Hey, Jack, I'm not really into this whole crypto thing. I want to hear about the Fed. I want to hear about the dollar, Bretton Woods, three, four, five. I hear you. I'm not telling you to buy a ticket and the interview will resume momentarily. However, if you are into the crypto thing and permissionless is something you might want to attend, what I'm saying is there's no time like the present because tickets will go up and if history is any guide, prices will go up a ton. Anyway, the link is in the description and you can get an additional 10% off by using code GUIDANCE10. Thanks. Let's get back to the interview. All right, Chris had to leave, but we're still here with Randy. And Randy, I just want to talk about the degree to which you and other people may hold the Federal Reserve to blame for this, blaming this on the rapid rate hikes, blaming this on quantitative easing and then quantitative tightening. Uh, I feel like the audience kind of wants me to push back on a little bit. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll be polite and stuff because I, I definitely think a case could be made that, uh, you know, some of the, some of these bankers made a lot of big mistakes that uh, Jamie Dimon didn't make. And you know, if you make two, per, if you make a mortgage at two percent and interest rates go from zero percent to five percent, you know, I mean, it's kind of you know law, law um, you know, it's the law of the jungle. Um, but but first, you know, Randy, could you make your point in sort of why you hold? Because it sounds like you kind of agree with Chris's point. You and Chris hold the Federal Reserve uh, accountable for a lot of the ongoing issues in the banking system. Yeah, I think. The first thing that to try to understand is that JP Morgan's not a bank. It is a massive conglomerate with all sorts of businesses, all sorts of profit centers. It, it isn't just a traditional, you know, George Bailey, you know, bank. It just isn't that way. But most regional and most community banks are. It's a very simple um, model. And, you know, you go into, uh, and I mentioned it when we were talking to Chris, you go into 2020 and they take rates to zero. Okay, whatever, I guess you had to do that. The problem that I have and in leading into your answer to you 
is that they bought also mortgages. And I didn't really understand why they did that. And they crushed mortgage spreads because my clients had a ton of money to invest. They were about to get a ton more money to invest uh, from you know all the stimulus. And at the same time, we knew because they had done, you know, taken rates to zero, mortgages are going to refinance. So all my assets, all my assets are going to reprice. And that's what happened 2020 and 21. They spent most of those two years saying lower for longer. I'm not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. And what is a bank to do there? You can't just sit on cash. It doesn't work that way. You got to invest that money. And, you know, when am I going to go into, uh, you know, a, a one-year treasury and make five basis points? No. Uh, you know, I think the 10-year, you know, got down to what, uh, below 1%. Yes. And so you do the best you can um, and you go into, you know, mortgages where there is some spread. Now, there's duration and we can, that's more of a longer story about how you pick the bonds, you know, the mortgage pools that hopefully will always generate cash flow. So even if, you know, rates do go up, um, people are still can't death, divorce, default. You're still going to get your cash flow back and you'll reinvest it at those higher rates. That's what a bank does. It, it manages cash flows. Um, but this was such a severe, virtually all my assets repriced at the lowest yields in the history of man, 20 to 21. And then you take my funding up by 500 basis points inside a year. You know, there's no way to, to just, and there was no way to prepare for that. Even when they finally said, we're going to start raising rates, it's too late. I got all my assets. And, they're, and who's going to buy those when, you know, we're going to raise rates? Nobody. A lot of people criticize the, the Federal Reserve um, and for, for many different things. They criticize the Federal Reserve for not hiking. Uh, then right. they criticize it. Rates are too low. Rates are too high. It's like everything is the Federal Reserve's fault, you know? And I'm not saying it isn't. I'm not saying it isn't the Federal Reserve's fault. But it, what, what would you, what would have been a pathway for the Federal Reserve that would have caused uh, less chaos in the, the money markets and, and uh, the banking system? Well, I don't, I don't think they should have bought mortgages for sure. I, I, I just, there was so much money in the system. I don't know why. That's my big question to anybody that, may have an answer. Somebody, we don't know who it was, back in March was selling mortgages like crazy and the prices were tanking yes. and my clients were buying. Um, it might have been, if I remember, I think it was talk about some huge CLO losses overseas. And if you got losses, you got to make up for it. You're going to sell good collateral at profits. And that's what I think was going on. But again, why did the Fed have to? I think they were saving somebody. I don't think it was about, oh, we need housing to go through the moon so everybody feels good and they have more you know, money, uh, cash out refis or anything like that. I think they were saving somebody who was having to sell and they jumped in the market. I think it said, wasn't just saving somebody. I think it was saving everyone in the private mortgage market. I, I forget the names, but I know there were some... Not even not even high profile failures because they were small mortgage REITs, but right. you know mortgage REITs that were down eighty percent in a day because the liquidity had they you know like banks in two thousand eight. Right. Uh, fortunately, yep. banks don't do this anymore, but mortgage REITs do. They rely on uh, repo financing, 
and yeah. the refinancing was just gone. It didn't get more expensive. It didn't slowly disappear. It was yeah. just gone. Yeah. And you know, something like Annalee, which is you know a, a sort of a best in breed, well respected, very large mortgage REIT. Um, you know, I mean, they're still struggling to to reach the prices that they were in mm-hmm. in 2019. I I mean, I think they did in in 2021. But you know, something down like down 80 percent as interest rates rose and uh, excuse me fell, and that's just because yeah. repo financing froze. So so you know, I mean, look, I'm. Um, there's some great books about uh, March 2020. Um, Nick Timoros's book, Trillion Dollar Triage, very good. I'm actually now reading um, Adam Tooze's book, uh, um, Shutdown. Uh, and it's just, you know, the Federal Reserve, it was a, it was a chaotic time. You know, yeah. if, if, you're, if you are, you know, the, the ruler of a village and you think that it's your entire you know, village will just be gone, like you're going to do some pretty drastic things. You're not yeah. going to be worrying about, oh, three years from now, this is going to cause this problem, you know? I wish they would come on and explain it because they did it on the backs of the banks, essentially. Well, any anybody who is invested in mortgage pools, you know, mortgages, you know, they're getting they took the brunt of, of the problem because they were forced into those. There's nothing else to invest in. And, and these are government backed, securitized mortgage pools. So it's super high quality. Uh that's all they could invest in. There was nowhere else to go. Right. And then you you put me there for two years. Everything that I own on my books reprices, everything meaning my loans all reprice, all my securities reprice. Okay, this is what I got. And now all of a sudden, inflation becomes an issue. You ramp up 500 basis points. I do question whether that was proper. Like there's going to be a lag. It's going to yeah. take time for that to work. Why not go to 3% and say, hey, we're going to hang out here for a while because, you know, we got to give it time. It takes time. But I don't know if it's political pressure or if it's their models or I, I don't know what it is. But to and, and then we're going to go. Things are breaking. OK, we've been talking about this for a year. They are now breaking and we're still going to raise rates again tomorrow. It, it's just Right. But Randy, isn't the fact that the Federal Reserve bought mortgage-backed securities, the vast majority, not vast, but the majority of which are still on their balance sheet because yeah. they buy them and then they stop prepaying. Uh, so they're still there, you know, and that's why people right. were talking about the Fed's balance sheet isn't moving down a lot in September. Um, aren't Wasn't the Federal Reserve kind of shielding the banking system from those losses? Wouldn't it have been far worse if those mortgage-backed securities were still on the, the bank balance sheets of commercial banks? And then interest rates went from 0% to 5%? No, because what they did is they replaced, uh, they forced the replacement of all their assets to be replaced at much, much lower yields. The banks, you can't just sit on cash. That's not how the bank works, right? So what they did is they, they by buying into the mortgages, and not all of them, I mean, they bought enough to force the yields down, you know, so low. I mean, basically 30-year one and a halves were going for par. 30 years. I mean, it, that was the market. 30 year maturity, Mortgage. one and a half coupon. One and a half coupon was for par. I mean, it's okay. a good deal when the, the 10 years at 50 basis points. When you're, when your deposit zero <laughs> and you're making one, it's, and it's actually not even a good deal there, but the, it's not a good deal. Yeah. If they've got, I mean, they'd rather do loans, which they did, but they forced the fed spent two years forcing the repricing of most assets and there's nothing this industry could do but to invest in those assets. There was no other – there's just nothing they could do. Um, now, surely 
you can look at FRC and, and, you know, First Republic and say, hey, in this environment, is a 10-year IO a good idea? Probably not. Yeah. Because you're going to, that's a longer duration. And that means the longer the duration, the more severe your price will be impacted uh, when rates go up. So, but that was their model. That's how they got their money. And, 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 and again, is that why they failed? Absolutely not. It was a bank run, end of story. Uh, could they have survived it if they had done London a little differently? Yeah, there's probably lots of things they could have done in hindsight that could have made them more robust and given them time to survive this environment. And most banks are in that category. They have they're not they're not leaning into any one thing or another and they've managed their cash flow and they'll manage their cash flow going forward they'll be okay um will there be others god i hope not but i'm afraid there will be uh and it's going to be some it's going to be something we hadn't thought of um where again i've got i've got my ideas but i hate to put a target on anybody's back but but people talk enough about cre that i'm not telling anybody that they don't know already know CRE is going to be a problem. If you're heavy in office, I, I suspect that's going to be, it's going to start getting some attention here sooner or later. Right. I, I think I know the name that you're talking about with commercial real estate, but I'll, I'll not really, it. it could be anybody. You, it, it isn't, it isn't anybody in particular, honest. It's, 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 it's earlier gonna, you said you wouldn't name the name. I, I, I thought I knew. Well, actually, no, what I won't, there's actually other exposures that some banks have um, I'll give you one because I don't, again, I don't think it's a big secret. And this is what I wanted to ask Chris about it. So we'll have to try next time. Um, if, if I think maybe what we might find out with FRC, one of the problems I think they ran into is they ran out of borrowing capacity because they were 95% loan to deposit. And so the BTFP, which is, by the way, the greatest lending facility in the history of man, I don't think, I think we're so used to these mnemonics and all these programs and facilities that they just come and go and nobody even thinks about it. The BTF lending is, is extraordinarily uh, awesome terms. Right, right, Randy. And just, sorry, just for the folks at home, FRC was the ticker for First Republic, which if you look it up, it says it's still trading for $3.51, but it's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not. Um, uh, and then BTFP is the bank's term funding program. The Federal Reserve initiated that two days after the fall of Silicon Valley Bank, where they can fund themselves at par, so an asset trading it. 80 cents on the dollar, they can get $100 for it. And the, the funding, I learned this from you, the funding rate changes. So if uh, the, the, the uh, BTFP rate, which is a one-year uh, overnight index swap plus right. 10 basis points is 4.8%, the next day is 4.7%, you can refinance. Right. Because, although people don't like using the word refinance because- it, It's kind of yeah. not that, but it, it, it is. It, what, it, what I call it's a floating uh, 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 cap. It's like being long an option. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like every time that it goes lower, I can now make that my cap. I just, which means that's the highest it goes, meaning yeah. that if I have, like, I have a client with a 430 right now. And if the rates go to higher, doesn't matter. He's capped out at 430. If they go to 420, he calls up and says, uh, I want right. the 420. They're like, you're good. It's, it's like when you own a, we own a callable security and you're exposed if interest rates go down, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Then it's, it's like the opposite of that. You're, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect head. It's sort of like a put. It really is. You yeah. have the ability, Hey, you know, my, it's, it's, it's anyway, that's yeah. never been done. I've never, ever, ever heard of a loan like that ever in the history of finance. Um, and you can do it at par. So really meaning you don't market value was normally how you do 
you know, if, I, if that's my collateral, that's the discount window, yeah, right. haircut, and, yeah. and FHLB. And so, so they both lend um, to par value. Well, so if, if it's 80, per, or sorry, to market value, if it's 80 cents on the dollar, and we're only going to lend you 80 cents. And by the way, we're also going to haircut that another 10, 15, 20%. That's right. how they lend. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. A lot of Forward Guidance listeners are not into crypto. If that's you, please skip ahead, get back to the interview. Some Forward Guidance listeners are into crypto, some own crypto, a smaller percentage owning lots of crypto, and a much smaller percentage work at crypto hedge funds. If you're in those latter two categories, BlockWorks Research might be a good fit for you. BlockWorks Research is a research and data platform that analyzes governance, tokenomics, and models of interesting crypto projects, including new protocols. There's a lot of edge that can be gained from reading these reports. You can check out a sample report at www.blockworksresearch.com research and hit the free report toggle. If that is of interest, full subscriptions can be purchased at www.blockworksresearch.com slash sign dash up. You can also get 10% off using the discount code guidance10. Thanks, and let's get back to the interview. And Randy, let me just you know, throw, throw these numbers out that I just pulled up in front of me. As of March 31st, First Republic FRC had deposits of just over $105 billion. It had borrowed... Uh, 16 billion from the uh, discount window, and it had done uh, two billion, uh, two billion um, via the BTFP. These these numbers actually seem a little low. Actually, those seem a little low. And and okay, so this let me. This a good. Yeah, helps me make my point. They can't go to the BTFP that much because they only i think i don't know what their bond portfolio was it was like what 16 billion or something like that maybe not even that much it was a really small bond portfolio so i got to borrow 100 billion dollars i've only my portfolio that works for btfp because it has to be they only accept basically government securities oh right yeah 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 they, you cannot pledge mortgage individual whole loans to right. the btfp only securities yes and exactly. you're exactly right yeah i think it's a little the as of like December 31st, I think it was they own a lot of municipal bonds. Uh, I think a little larger than 16 billion, but yeah, not large by any means right. compared to to its assets. Right. So they had to use their loans to go to the home loan bank and the discount window. Uh, they can't get par, and it's and there's a haircut on top of the market value. So my theory, my thinking is, and we may never know. I think they just flat out ran out of borrowing capacity. So. Had BTFP existed, by the way, with Silicon Valley Bank, who had a much larger percentage of a, a, a bond portfolio, they might have survived. I think they might. I think, yeah. They could have just gone to the BFT and gotten par and it would all have been fine. But they had to sell because there was no BTF program. And by the way, their AFS portfolio was, was very conservative. It was still a $2 billion loss, but it was a very conservative portfolio. And that got the whole ball rolling. My point being, though, is, is I don't think the BTFP program is going anywhere. They say it's temporary. I, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be around forever. And my guess is that that banks, if you're a super high loan to deposit, I think that might get frowned upon. That you need good collateral for the BTFP program. So in case you need it, it's available. So you need that collateral. 
So right. th- that's somebody I think I might be worried about if I was a bank with a really high loan or deposit. I'm probably going to back off that. I'm going to probably say, hey, you know what? We're going to build probably cash first. And then when we have enough cash, we're going to start building a short duration, well-structured cash flow wise bond portfolio. That way, if we ever need to borrow on BTFP, it's available. Right. And those uh, single mortgages, they cannot be pledged to the Fed under the discount lender or BTFP, but they can get access to the Federal Home Loan Bank, which really, you know, people talk about the Federal Reserve, obviously Federal Reserve, incredibly important. But when you talk about you know, dollars and cents, how much funding is, is received and, and aid is given to the banking system, uh, the Federal Home Loan Bank is, is so much more, uh, so much more money has been you know, given yeah. over the past month or so oh, then the federal, federal reserve it's, it's not even close and i think they you know now have over a trillion dollars in uh advances uh, which are a variety of, of maturities and yeah it's, it's i'm actually going to go with what i found yesterday i think frc uh, had 77 billion in in borrowing from uh, 63 from the discount window 13 yeah. 14 from from the uh, btfp because and then that's they all also they had get. They had a lot from the uh, bank term uh, from the FHLB. And I, yeah. I think that that is why the FDIC is doing this whole $50 billion thing that the CFO did not want to disclose the yield of. I think so too. I think that's basically we're saying, hey, to wipe out all those borrowings at 5%, we're going to give this to you at 2% or, or like you said, 350, wherever the five year is, you know, so that way they've got a spread. The, all the assets they just took that they got at good market value. So that's probably six, 7% yield. You know, instead of you sitting at this five percent borrowing level, we'll take you down to three and a half, right? So you, yeah. so you're protecting your net interest margin, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So what what have you seen about the FDIC's new and proposed rules uh, that it wants to enact following this? I just I just was looking at this as, I, as we started the uh, the FDIC outlined three options for deposit insurance reform. Number one. Limited coverage, maintaining the current deposit insurance framework, which provides insurance up to depositors up to uh, a specified limit, possibly higher than the current $200,000 limit. Yeah. Uh, number two, unlimited coverage. Okay, we know what unlimited coverage means. Everyone's insured. Number three, targeted coverage, offering different deposit insurance limits across account types where business payment accounts receive significantly higher coverage than other accounts. Okay, so option one, increase the cap from 250000 to some, some higher million. number. Probably a million. Probably a million. Number two, uh, you know, everyone, everyone's insured. It's, it's, it's a t- total giveaway to depositors. Um, and number three is, oh, uh, in- individual accounts are insured up to 250,000, but business accounts are insured up to a million. Yeah. I, it, they're going to change that to some degree. And actually, wait, I don't, you might not have seen it. You go track it down. The New York research department, New York fed research department, they came out with something basically, how can we prevent uninsured deposit flight? And it talks about penalties. It talks about, you know, if you take out a certain amount of money, uh, you've got to wait 30 days to get it. Or so, it was something, you know, crazy. If you take out more than a certain amount or whatever, trying to think of a way that they could prevent the speed of withdrawal that we just saw. So that's yeah. a throwing it up there. But yeah, they're going to, you know, they're going to come up with something. I got to man, everything 100% insured seems crazy, but so far, everything's been 100% insured, right? Yeah, the regional propo- banks had a proposal maybe, you know, a few weeks ago that all 
business accounts or maybe all accounts are un, are insured for like one year or two years. So it gives banks time. Just going back to Chris's yeah. point on time. That's possible. I yeah. mean, that, yeah. And, and that would, <laughs> that would, wouldn't give somebody nefarious enough time to do really dumb things with knowing that, Hey, the deposits are hundred percent insured. So now I can really go crazy. And I, I mean, I think that's the idea of, of not a hundred percent insured is that, you know, if you're a large depositor, you know, like I got a friend who runs a very large uh, real estate firm. You know, when all this went down, he called his bank and said, talk to me about your bank portfolios. What's your unrealized losses? You know, what does yeah. that look like? What's your duration? That is what you want. You want eyes on the bank. If you've got, you know, a couple million bucks or more in a, in a bank, you better be paying attention. Right. But, okay, Randy, I, I'm biased from my, my previous conversation with Nathan uh, Tankis, but so it sounds like your friend, very sophisticated in, you know, areas of finance. He, wor- mm-hmm. he works in finance. They work in finance, but most business people, including, you know, very sophisticated, uh, successful business people do not have the wherewithal to the, the, the sufficient knowledge to analyze, Oh, what happened to a mortgage, a right. hundred billion dollar mortgage book when the coupons, you know, well, coupons, coupons went up and the idea, I mean, look, you've incredibly smart people in Silicon Valley. They're really smart in technology, uh, healthcare, no, I, all these types of stuff that, you know, they, they have no idea what, what we were, we were talking about right now. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it, he didn't not, know either. He had to ask depend me. upon them, you know, and, and everyone, like as someone who you runs a, you know, a, a boat shop and just very successful, like they don't have to, they don't, they don't have to, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. And, and by the way, he had to ask me what, what this is what they told me. Oh, okay. Well, this is what it means. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. Absolutely. You know, but, but I mean, that's the spirit of it, but you know, I just, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I mean, we've already proven, I mean, it's, you know, signature and Silicon Valley bank and, and effectively, you know, uh, first Republic, it was all hundred percent insured, right? Nobody lost, no depositor lost any money. So, right. You know, because they're what it's systemic or what does Yellen use? It, it was a con- systemic no, risk, risk exception. Yeah, yeah, and and man, that's you know how are you going to? I don't know how you're ever going to pull that back in if you right. have another bank failure and and you're going to. And, get and the the reason that FRC depositors are going to be fine, including the uninsured depositors, is not because the FDIC extended the cap to to insurance depositor uninsured depositors like they did for signature and silicon valley it's because they got taken over by jp morgan um yeah. randy we, we, we've been talking it's been, it's been great uh getting getting your perspective um as people can see from the screen on twitter you're at the bond freak people need to follow you. you've got tons of tons of insights um you're you know you, people can somehow get on your email distribution uh, that is highly valuable definitely for for insights into banking uh just to give people a sense of um, just what four guidance is, is got, uh, over the next, let's say month, uh, it's incredible. Perry Merling, uh, you know, worked a lot with Zoltan Poser. He's coming on very soon, actually. You got Zoltan coming on or no, no. uh, Perry. Oh, Merling, yeah, 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 Zoltan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Bianco is coming on an FOMC yeah. day. The day after FOMC, Nick Timros is coming on. I'm talking yeah. to Michael Pettis, uh, Sheila Bear, uh, former head be, of the I'm FDIC. I'm excited for that one. She's coming on, uh, later. She doesn't month. hold back, man. She's, you're going to get a lot of good good feet. All those people, they're all wonderful. They're all, it's, I saw that list this morning. I was like, Holy crap. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, not, I'm, excited I'm pretty excited. That. Yeah. Well, uh, Randy, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, do, do you, do you uh, have a parting message you want to leave our audience with? No, I would say the only thing Jack and I are, we're working on getting one of my internal guys on hopefully on a us three that is uh, even more unique as far as, you know, the, 
the ability to see what goes on in banks as I do with portfolios, he does with loans. And he's there's even fewer of him. And we're going to, when we get that out, man, that is going to be a really, really unbelievable education for everybody because those people you rarely get to hear from. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. Me too. I'm not going to reveal a name, but it, it was no, a, no. you quoted, quoted in an article and I saw yeah. this person's fascinating. I love to talk to them. And I saw you worked with Raymond James. <laughs> and so I reached out to you and yeah, yeah. That, so that, that hopefully will you know air next month or so. Randy, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate and uh, thank you, Chris, for coming on. And yep. uh, thanks everyone for watching. Talk soon. Forward Guidance, the program you just enjoyed, hopefully, can be viewed on YouTube at BlockWorks Macro or heard as a podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Episodes are typically released on Apple and Spotify a few hours before they air on YouTube. Please leave a review on Apple Podcast if you feel so inclined. Also, you can get 10% off to Permissionless 2023 and BlockWorks Research using code GUIDANCE10. Thanks again and be well.